Hey everyone, welcome back to the Black Fashion History Podcast, the place where we educate you all about all of the amazing Black superheroes that have contributed to the fashion industry. And I am your host, Taniqua Russ. I hope you guys have been staying safe. Um, Most importantly, I hope you all have been staying at home. I know it's hard and annoying, but it certainly does help. So please do everything you can to stay safe, stay healthy, stay at home, and care for your loved ones during this time. Shout out to all the essential workers, hospital staff, social workers, uh, grocery store workers, and everybody out there who has to get up every day and go to work and put themselves in the line of danger. Shout out to you all. We thank you all for all of the amazing things that you are doing. It's because of you that we're still able to run with some semblance of functionality. So thank you all. And my prayer is that you guys are safe and that your family is safe as well. So now I know everyone is stuck in the house. So for today's show, we're going to do a little bit of imaginary traveling. We are going to travel to the UK and to the continent of Africa, in my conversation with Jacqueline Shaw. Jacqueline Shaw is a fashion designer. She is a fashion educator, and she's a pioneer for sustainable and ethical manufacturing and supply chain management on the continent of Africa. I got a chance to chat with Jacqueline about how she came into the industry, how she even came into this work, why it's so important, and how Africa really is the future. So let's jump right into our conversation. So you want to start a podcast, right? I know it can seem really daunting and complicated to have to think through how to record it or how to edit it and even how to upload it. But don't worry about any of that. I'm about to give you the only tool you need to create an A1 top of the line podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, to get started today. Now, let's get back into our content. I'm from the UK, from born and bred in London, and my background is fashion. So it's something that I, I studied at degree level and master's level, and I always always loved creating um, even though I was quite academic and um, my maths teacher at school always wanted me to do maths and e- economics which may have made me richer <laughs> to be honest but I love the creative field and so I got into the arts and then got into fashion and I've been working as a fashion designer for I'm just under 20 years oh, for wow, brands a long time it's a season girl it's a season but yes I've been doing that um for brands and retailers internationally and it's been an interesting journey well when did you first become interested in fashion it's a it's a hard one it's I remember being um I don't even know how old my sister always remembers me doing it as well I remember sewing clothes for my toys to wear (laughs) and I remember like just getting scraps of fabric from school that they had in like a box and I was so close with my toys to wear and I remember you know begging my mother 
please, 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 can I have the fashion wheel, this game that you could kind of create your own designs and it's like a sketching wheel thing. I can't even describe it. If you've seen it or heard it, maybe some of the listeners have remember it. It's, this was, I don't know, back in the 80s, I guess, or 90s, must be the 80s. I was quite young. But I um, really wanted that because I always, I just loved fashion. And I don't know why. Because um, I was quite a quiet child and a reader, I love I love the I love drawing, I love the arts um, as maybe a way of expression, but also loved reading. And so yeah, I think it's just because it's all part of creativity, and that's just in my bones. You said that you have been a fashion designer for about twenty years, and now you've kind of transitioned onto the brand side and consulting what made you yeah. want to take that pivot now that was an interest another there's been a lot of interesting experiences in my life that was not something that I actually directed to happen I um have always been you know a, a black woman of um, Jamaican heritage so black British would be the category I'd be put under in the UK and my background is Jamaican, mum and dad. And I um, remember my, I've always been looking at African history. I always loved the textiles. I love my Nigerian and Ghanaian friends and what they would wear when I'd go to weddings and baby showers and all kinds of events I would go to them with. And I'd be able to dress up and make outfits and they'd get me sewing for them. So I always had a connection to African culture through my friends, through my church and so forth. But then it was when I turned 30, it was just before, just after my grandfather um, died and he, a Jamaican man, and he's from a group of people called the Maroon tribe. Historically, they were people from Africa brought to the Caribbean, though they're based in Haiti or Haiti and they're based in, in Jamaica and some other islands. They revolted against being slaves. They ran away, they hid in the mountains in Jamaica and they would fight off the um, colonialists uh, and slave masters. They refused to be slaves. And my grandfather was from that lineage. So when he passed, I, I always was looking into it, but when he passed, it made me more aware. And I said, you know, I need to go to Africa, Africa. I'd been to um, North Africa, like Morocco before, but I'd never been to like sub Saharan Africa, like um, West or East or right. um, South. So I decided to, yeah, took my first trip to Ghana, an opportunity to go with some friends who are Ghanaians and stay with their family and get inducted and that's really where it all began because then I saw live you know people making clothing and I saw people making textiles and I said yeah this this I need to get involved in this and then I started my own label and then from there did a degree looking at um, I decided to focus on Africa's textile industry for my master's which was all about ethical and sustainable fashion and just from there, people just wanted me to, I started to blog, people wanted me to speak about the topic and I became a specialist and an expert just organically. It's just been a crazy journey, but I've loved it. I loved every second of it. That's so interesting to me that, you know, you took a trip to Ghana and it kind of opened your eyes to this new world in yeah. terms of fashion and fashion on the continent of Africa, because not a lot of people think about Africa in that way. So mm. I think part of the work and what you're doing is not just helping businesses, but you're also changing the narrative and forcing people to look at the continent of Africa in a different way. So what would you say to people who ask, why did you decide to kind of start this fashion business with Africa as the focus? Like you could have gone to any of the other countries that are already doing uh, 
like large scale manufacturing and production. You could have picked any Asian country to be able to mm-hmm. manufacture your line. But why did you want to I guess, stay within your roots in a sense? I think because of my job, I was always, you know, in Asia anyway. You know, I was always going to factories throughout Asia, Malaysia, Hong Kong, China, Singapore, all of these countries. And then I'd go to Europe as well, so Turkey and throughout and be manufacturing there. So I knew what this was like. For me, it was more because of the connection and because of the, because I was researching more and more into Africa, it was, there was a narrative that I just thought was very unfair. I guess I'm somebody all about justice and somebody all about, not even empowerment, it's more about changing people's perceptions and the way they're thinking and um, sharing knowledge and highlighting things and raising awareness. And for me, it was, there was a lot of unfair things. I mean, we already know, you know, Africa's history is part of world history and the, the unfair in this, uh, that's been associated with the con- African continent. For me, the fashion industry, it was, wasn't explored very much, but yet things were being done there. And there was areas like I focused on the cotton industry to start with and things there where Africa, African countries could actually do better economically if the trade in, if trade between Africa and other countries was more um, fair. You know, when you're exporting raw materials, you're taking away the value addition in those countries because they have to now import things back in their finished yeah. form. So they're losing a lot of value. And that, for me, was what was unfair. And I wanted to share with people, things can be made there. You can get your cotton. You can, you know, if it's been done by hand or done by machine, it can then be processed into a textile and that can be made into a fabric. So there is a supply chain. It may not be as mechanized as uh, or industrialized as other con- continents and, and locations, but there is some going on. We just need more investment, government investment, even FDI into the continent to up-level um, the industry of fashion and textile so that Africa can have a full supply chain that is effective and serving the world markets. So I wanted to share that story and let people know, because a lot of people are really surprised when I started talking about it, like, really, Africa? And they, <laughs> they wouldn't have said, it was the shock, horror, like, really? And I talk about that often because, um, yeah, this association, this mindset is very much Bob Geldof and, you know, heal the world save the children and all of this kind of concept rather than what we're now seeing as africa the the narrative that we're getting today is like everybody wants to get a piece of africa now in the context of culture music foods fashion um even travel you know Mm -hmm. this this africa's very on trend right now yeah no i would absolutely agree with you on that and you know, as someone who has West African heritage, both of my parents are from Liberia. You know, I always get really excited when I get really excited, like when looking at your work and thinking about it, because the possibility of opening up the continent to greater economic opportunities is something that I'm passionate about and that I would love to see more of. And, and like you said, instead of, you know, us exporting our raw materials and all of that, like people should start considering it as a place where they can get things made, they can get textiles created. And I think that ultimately, like financially empowers the country. Mm, absolutely. But you also mentioned that um, when you talk to people about this, there is kind of like a shock and horror in their face 
face when they think about Africa uh, in terms of like production and fashion. You know, what are some other common misconceptions that people have? I mean, the typical one, which I, 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 people just say without thinking, the whole Africa is not a country, you know, is still, people still describe Africa as, you know, um, a country and don't acknowledge the difference between 54 stroke 55 country states and all the different cultures and traditions i mean i you know there's a lot i mean i obviously i recognize that but there's a lot that i am still learning when i go to the countries when it comes to dialects and, and languages and cultural groups and so much just in one country thousands and thousands of languages and dialects and cultural groups and you know and it's understanding that but people just still see because africa is just like one place so that's a huge misconception and then it's the other one where people just have the assumption of <laughs> African people just being, you know, in loincloths and roaming mm-hmm. around half naked because of the images. And there are cultural groups who look like that, who have a very, you know, with indented fingers, um, you know, that kind of um, tribal um, look. And then you have the same, you know, you have that in, in Southern American, um, South American countries as well as in, in parts of Australasia, you know, where there's they, they, cultural groups when they, they stick to their, their original heritage and way of doing things. But people still think that that's, that is Africa and that's the whole of Africa. But it's like, no, there's so many different types of people and looks and, and the colours as well, <laughs> you know. The, the, you, know, you have the Asian um, people of more of like a Arab look, or, or white Africans, and and black Afro Africans, and and all in between. There's a whole rainbow of colours and of people there as well, and just the association. This people just need to travel and see and open their minds and think out the box when it comes Absolutely. to Africa. But, so what? has been the most challenging aspect of the work that you do i mean it can be twofold really and i say because it's 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 an ongoing battle you have those who are that you want to kind of it feels like you have to persuade them so you have to persuade the industry to go and get into africa it's getting easier now because they're recognizing oh there's a new market there's a new market of consumers a new market of labor we can step into africa and get you know expand because there's that opportunity. So thinking from a business perspective, from a business case, but before that, it was like having to persuade a retailer or persuade a designer or somebody to go and produce in Africa and manufacture there was hard because they just wouldn't, it was a risk because Mm -hmm. of the, you know, the associations of uh, corruption and so forth. And then on the other side, you know, working with Africa, you know, in all honesty, can be challenging. You know, you're trying to get stuff done and support and then, they may, culturally, they may not just show up or they may not perform or do the things that you need to be done on time and getting quality and getting that. So I've really had to look at who is the strongest people and group to work with on the continent because, you know, I'm there telling people that these things can be done and then there are people that I may be working with who are not living up to that. So it kind of makes people think, well, there you go. They can't do it. Africa can't do it. And I know that they can. It's just there are challenges along the way. So, yeah, twofold. There's twofold challenges there. That's interesting. Um, and I know that has that had to have been a lot of pressure because you're sort of like the guinea pig in a sense. So you're championing mm. everyone to come produce in Africa. Uh, and then, of course, just like with any 
with any other place you're going to run into, you know, you may run into some issues with production, some delays or, you know, whatever have you, Mm -hmm. but you kind of have the pressure of putting on this face because you don't want people to think, okay, well, that's why, you know, that's why I was telling you this is not a good idea or Africa is not the place Mm -hmm. to be, you know, this is what I thought all along. And so that must be like a lot of pressure. I don't know if that's something that you have dealt with or that's how you see it. But for me, I think about it as uh, that's a whole lot of pressure. You're kind of toting this whole industry on your back, especially being a pioneer in this space. How do you handle things like that? I mean, yeah, it it is very pressuring. Um, It's very pressuring and it can test how much I'm committed to this. I mean, I'm highly committed, you know, I've dedicated, you know, I work for myself, so I've dedicated my career to this now. And um, yeah, it, it, business is pressuring, <laughs> but that doesn't <laughs> help when, you know, you're trying to support and you've got the good things in mind. And, you know, I am a black woman coming in, a black European woman coming into um, Africa. And then there is that perception as well, where sometimes it, People are surprised and well, happily surprised that I'm a black woman um, from Europe. And, you know, sometimes they may prefer if I was a white woman. So there is also that, that cultural challenges as well to deal with. And, but I stay committed to the cause. And, you know, in some ways it can be in the black British woman can give me access. Because <laughs> like, I can understand and I'm also coming from a European perspective. So I've got a, a network and I've got contacts. So that can actually be a good thing. So I have to just learn culturally from the different cultures and working with different countries and how to approach it and still be professional and business-like around that and to kind of mitigate the risks um, and the challenges with my clients as well because then that would erupt when they don't get what they need on time or things don't go as planned. There's lots of learnings. There's lots of measures that I have to take and put in place in order to... uh, still have success in this area. Well, on the flip side of all of that, what has been the most rewarding experience, you know, during your years doing this? It's been very rewarding. I mean, just to see now how things are changing because there was, a, you know, back in the day when I started 10 years ago, 11 years ago nearly, just do my degree, my master's, there were, it, was, it was harder. It was much harder to get the message out and being one of very few people doing it. And um, now to see that you've got the Christian Dior's who are doing projects with Africa and you've got, you know, Stella McCartney's in Westwoods and the H&M's and the Gap's and all of these brands and retailers and designers who are doing stuff. It's like, okay, so now there's a recognition. There's now more of an acceptance. That's really rewarding. But for me personally, it's connecting with how I see his heritage and going back to the motherland which is so kind of (laughs) you know okay but it it is it's going going back to Africa and learning more for myself as a woman of Caribbean heritage which originated in Africa it's kind of a nice um certain end of the circle or completion of the circle to go and to be able to do this work and to connect with people and to learn new languages, new cultures, new foods, new things 
Um, and then, yeah, traveling all over the continent is also a nice thing. <laughs> Just to, to learn more for myself and to be able to see, you know, that I've been able to connect people and now they're exporting, now they're bringing money into the continent. That's, that's a real good um, positive from all of the struggles. You mentioned how, like, other breaks, brands or retailers are more recently coming into you know Africa like Christian Dior and I know that Mm -hmm. now there's probably a thought of okay well how can we yes up the production in Africa in terms of brands that are coming in and considering it like a viable place to you know, create their their clothing, but also still preserve the heritage and the culture of these African countries and, of course, the people. So what's your recommendation on brands coming in and their sort of social responsibility to the people, making sure that the culture is preserved um, and also that there's no exploitation taking place? Yeah, this is a struggle one because, you know, um, I had a con- I do a conference every year. And the last year, uh, during the conference, I had a panel talking about cultural appropriation. And you know, I've had those on the panel who were based in the UK, those who are based in Af- European countries, and they do work in Africa. And then those who are based in Africa doing work in Africa. And so it's different perspectives, and it's a bit like. Of course, if you're going to be tapping into a technique or a tradition in textiles or cultural history or something like that, then you should, you know, appropriate that by bringing in those who originated that, bringing in those who um, who, who use that technique and telling their stories. Today, storytelling is so important and it's actually a great seller. There's a phrase, stories, facts tell, stories sell. So it's actually going to work in, you know, this business case will work in the favor of a company to actually tell the stories. People want to know who made your clothes, who made my clothes, et cetera, et cetera. So recognizing those, working with those, because there's been too many cases of people taking things which have been from Africa or from African countries and places and around the world and not aligning that with those African countries, those African people who originated that. So number one, they should do that. Number two, be careful about the greenwashing. So you're not just doing that because it's you want to have because you've got a CSR you want to um, show that you're being transparent and you're working with community groups and whatever they don't do it for that reason do it because it's, it's part of you know, something the company, the company believes in like for some it's, it's they really believe in um, maybe something to do they want to clean the ocean and they recognize that there's a lot of plastic in uh, waste in African countries for example there's a challenge with rubbish and they want to do something and then they're going to make products from those plastic bottle waste or from those flip-flops left on the beach or whatever and they just happen to do that in Africa and so they're the stories are being told in that sense and they were creating jobs and so forth. So it's making sure that it's, it's lining up with the real aims of the company and where they're going. It's not just, oh, we like this. So right now, Christian Joel going to be doing this Africa thing because it's interesting. It's, is it deeper than that? What is this, you know, you can just move on to Mongolian fashion heritage next week, you know, next season. Yeah. It's, let's go deeper and let's really appreciate I know earlier you said Africa is really on trend now in a sense, and it and it is. And I think going green and being sustainable is also on trend. So you see a lot of companies that are, you know, slapping these labels or doing these things to make them appear more ethical or sustainable in order mm-hmm. to kind of go with the flow of the industry. And because they know that that's something that people are now considering, you know, like when they make their purchases. 
And I love that you said that, you know, it should be something that really sticks true to the mission of the brand and not just because the brand wants to go with a wave. I completely agree with that 100%. And I think consumers are getting smarter and we're getting better at detecting who's being real and who isn't. Yes. And I think where I mentioned about Africa being on trends as well, it's coming from African voices. You have like Sherry Silver, the dancer, and you know, she's she's now working with American artists and she's been called upon various different things and she's bringing in African traditional dancing into other realms. But there's a lot of stories, you know, a lot of the Tina Savage and all of these, um, Davido and all these African artists, and they've been called upon from American artists and other big names and brands like Coca-Cola or so forth, but they're giving an African voice. They're doing it in African style. You right. know, it's like I would remember when Solange had that video with um, the Sapirs in um, Les Sapirs in um, Congo. It was in the Congo or South Africa. I can't remember which one it was, but it's the their heritage, going to the land, letting the Africans have their voice and do things the African way and not trying to, well, it's being commercialised now, but not trying to do it in an American version of or English version. But then, like I also said, because they're recognising that there's an interest there or there's a, I mean, Africa is going to be the majority of the world very, very soon by 2100. 40% of the world will be African. So from a business perspective, you know, that's why you've got the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Alibabas and Googles or open offices or traveling out or doing projects there because they have, they, if they're smart, they have to. If you want your business to grow, you have to be in Africa. It's just smart thinking. There's very different reasons why people are doing it. But what I love is that the African voice is coming through. But I just want to see more Africans owning and where their culture and their voices are being are being touched. So yeah, there is there is that, that that aspect to consider as well. So how can like more Africans own this space? I think we're seeing a lot now. We're seeing a lot of um innovation in tech or even things like um She Leads Africa, where young people especially are just setting things up and then just just being their own voice and they're disrupting the industries that they're in. They said, okay, we don't have this. I want to go and make a, a satellite. I see a problem locally. And, I, you know, I've been back, you know, like I talk about the waste issues and we've had young people who just set up bands or some kind of process to clear waste in Nigeria, for example. And they'll just set these things up. They just do it. It's like mm-hmm. you kind of have to when you don't have all the access or welfare or government support like you do in the so-called Western world. You just have to do it. And I think they are, they are just making it happen by just setting things up. So, you know, kind of bringing it back to fashion, like, what would mm-hmm. you say to someone who's like, okay, I'm not a big brand, I'm not a big corporation, I'd like to be a part of um, the African fashion industry in a sense of, you know, manufacturing and production, but I have no idea where to start. Like, what do they do? Okay, so apart from getting in touch with me to help them... <laughs> <laughs> and let me be the business coach and consultant i mean yeah I, I hear people always say this but the truth is you do have to research because of the very big cultural difference between africa and other continent you need to understand that market and so that's going to take your research in and part of the research will be going out there that's what i did when i first went yes i went to explore for my history i wanted to connect to learn more about africa from my own his- history and heritage but I went back, I think I went to Ghana in the March, that's when my birthday is, and then I 
went back two times that same year or within a year i went back two more times and that was to meet with makers and manufacturers to find out about the weavers and the batikas and the textile makers and where i can where the production hubs were and i went on the ground and yeah i made loads of mistakes but i also gained a lot of friends that even now are still business contacts and friends today yes you will have to do research you can do your desk research and all of that is great contact people like myself who are you know experts in this area to to direct you and lead you and then get out there get educated and get out there is um, a couple of the big things i say to do and then take your time take your time there's no need to rush to just push out a whole load of products you need to also know who you're selling to and where that market is that you're trying to do and can the people that are making, can they actually scale your business? I always say this to my clients, make sure that those who are making can actually scale your business and don't work with what I call the one one tailor by the roadside. It's those who, <laughs> you know, you meet many people, tourists will meet them and they'll can make them your dress and your piece. But when you want to scale that business, they don't have the actual physical or mental capacity right. um, or capabilities to scale your business. One thing that you have on your website that I thought was really powerful, you said that you want to play an integral part in African history through something that you love, which is fashion. With this in mind, how have you seen your work Mm -hmm. change the industry on the continent of Africa? Oh, wow. That's a huge, a huge statement. I think even though it's been 10 years, I think I'm just getting started. I think because it's been a lot of um, growth and a lot of trial and error in what I'm doing and what I'm every year. So I do something new because of what my clients, what people are requesting. So when I did the trips, I'm taking people to Africa. That's something quite pioneering to organize trips so people can meet manufacturers, you know, business mission trips. This is enabling, I'm creating an enabling environment for people to to connect with Africa and I think that is also creating an enabling environment for African producers to get market access to places they may not originally get that access to especially for those that are um, artisans because I do a lot of artisans and then just having a sourcing platform is something new because then it gives again that market access and that platform for those African artisans makers and manufacturers to connect with retailers brands designers which are not in their regions which are externally internationally so I think and something like that and then I remember I went to Togo I was invited to go to Togo to Lome in Togo on a trip as part of a project and I had to do a teaching it was teaching lecturing to um, a young women's school in Lome and I remember going there and I was talking about fashion, African fashion and ethical fashion. I was educating them on that. And the fact of being able to connect with them and bring just my expertise from working in fashion internationally and sharing that with them to open up their eyes to global opportunities. And then for them as well, I remember them saying to me, we thought you would be a white woman. For them to have people who look, they, they said, no, but you come and you look just like us. And that made me nearly cry. And it was um, because the importance of being somebody of colour, going to Africa and doing this, it's always, I mean, it doesn't matter who goes and does it, but from what they were saying, from what people do say, that is itself an impact because I am coming as somebody who's like them in that sense. And why they, as they've said, you're like us. I'm not royalty. I'm not a celebrity. I'm just somebody who's fallen in love with the continent. And then to be able to work together to bring trade, like I always say, my, my remit is to see change in Africa you've got to do 
trade with Africa. So change is what I want to see. Trade is the tool and fashion is the vehicle and that's kind of the the focus and so it's, it's just all about just bringing trade because i believe that's going to be the thing that will be able to change the way people perceive africa just by doing business and having africa on the same level as everybody and all the other continents for business and trend yeah industry And that's it, guys. Make sure you show Jacqueline some love by heading over to her website, jacquelineshaw.co.uk. That's J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E-S-H-A-W.co.uk. And there you can find out all about all the amazing work that she does with fashion in Africa. And you can hit her up if you want to learn more about starting a fashion business in an African country. And as always, make sure to tune in again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. Follow us on Instagram at Black Fashion History Podcast. And I can't wait to talk to you guys. Bye-bye.